0: Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. Well, this morning, as we now turn our attention to study God's Word, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, looking at verses 21 through 34. And uh, if you're just joining us, we've been in a series where we've been studying the Gospel of Mark since the beginning of the fall. And uh, last week, we looked at um, the first parable that's in this chapter, chapter 4, the parable of the sower, a really famous parable that uh, Jesus tells us and told us about the mystery of the kingdom of God, how it doesn't come into the world um, through power, through military advance or compulsion, but it comes through uh, hearing and listening to what we hear. And today is kind of a part two of the mystery of the kingdom of God. As we look at three more parables, Jesus tells us here in Mark chapter four about the kingdom of God and the mysterious way it works in our lives and in the world around us. So that's what we're gonna look at today as we study these parables. So um, again, they're in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. And so let's now hear and listen together to God's word before we dive into it. And Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a, a bed and not on a stand? And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the faithful God that we have sung about this morning, um, the God who brings hope into our lives and into our world. And we thank you that you've spoken this word of hope to us through your word, And that even as we come to passages like this, parables that can sometimes be a little bit difficult to understand what they mean and and how to apply them to our lives today, that even as we read here, you promise to explain to your people everything. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do that now as we look at these three little stories and seek to learn about your kingdom, that you uh, would give us ears to hear, that you'd help us pay attention to what we hear, and that you'd use it ultimately to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith, to increase our hope in the midst of a world that can often feel hopeless. And Lord, we thank you um, for this time now to do that and for your faithfulness. Show it to us again, we ask now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this spring I was introduced to a new author, a writer by the name of Pete Scazzaro. And he's a former pastor in Queens, New York, where he planted and pastored a church for many years called New Life Fellowship. Uh, But his story is one of starting this church as a younger man and it growing and flourishing on the outside in terms of numbers and things you could see happening with your eyes however beneath the surface it was not flourishing and even more than that even deeper than that he was not flourishing and it got so bad for him that at one point his wife Jerry actually came to him and told him that she was going to she was quitting the church that he was pastoring until Uh, something changed until she saw some real change in his life and in their marriage. And this led to all sorts of inner work and it did lead to changes in their life, marriage and discipleship to Jesus and eventually did result in a complete transformation um, of their lives, of their marriage, ultimately in their church, which is still going strong today, years later under the leadership of his successor. And Scazzaro has written several books coming out of his experience, something he's called the discovery of emotional healthy, emotionally healthy spirituality. And it, it's amazing stuff. I discovered it in the spring and I read the first book. And then I did what I typically do when I find an author I like. Uh, I, I went on a deep dive and just blew through everything that he's ever written, devouring it all in a matter of months. And so when I got to the end of his final book, the latest one he's put out about how to, how to apply all of this stuff to the church naturally. I was fired up. I was also newly into this role as the lead site pastor here at South End. And so I was just so excited about uh, thinking about getting more of this in me, more, more of this in us as a church, as a congregation. But then I got to the last chapter, the one about implementing it into your life and the church. The chapter spurring you on to move forward and start applying everything you've learned And here's what I read when I got to the second principle for implementing all this material. So this is like 800 plus pages in of me reading him. Here's, and being excited, here's then what I read. He said, emotionally healthy discipleship is a biblical paradigm shift that takes seven to 10 years to integrate into the life of a church. Yes, you read that correctly, seven to 10 years. I read that and I thought seven to 10 years? Like, I want this now. Like, I want to be transformed by this now. I want us to be transformed by this now. Seven to 10 years from now, like who knows what's going to be going on seven to 10 years from now. I want to be moving on to to something else, something bigger, something better. And what it did was expose for me how I tend to think God works. For how I tend to think the kingdom of God works, or at least how I want it to work. I want it to be obvious, quick, An easy, bigger, faster, stronger, just add water, five simple steps and growth and transformation and impact happens. It exposed for me and reminded me again how I want and expect a kingdom that works the way my Amazon, DoorDash, and on-demand streaming service world works. One that comes into my life and the world around me quickly, obviously, and in big ways. And I start with that this morning because today as we come to the rest of these parables here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus wants to do the same thing for us. As he tells us three more parables about the kingdom of God and how it works, he wants to expose and remind us of the way we typically think about his kingdom, but even more, he wants to invite us to see the beauty and power of how it truly does work and how it comes to us and to the world Around us, not in obvious, quick, big, and flashy ways, but in ways much more hidden, much more slow and seemingly small and insignificant. And so today, let, let's look at the mystery of this kingdom that comes in an upside down, counterintuitive way. And we, as we walk through these three parables together, we're gonna learn three truths, three truths Jesus wants us to know about his kingdom and how it works. And so starting with the first one, here it is. We see in this first story, this first little parable, and it's this, that the kingdom of God is hidden, but will shine. That the kingdom of God is often hidden, but it will shine. Verse 21, first parable, Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And so Jesus uses another image, another analogy, everyone would have been able to relate to. Of course, this is well before the days of electricity. So the only way that you could light up your house was to use a lamp. And obviously you wouldn't bring a lamp in, light it and then put it under a basket or under your bed. You'd put it on a stand so the light would be able to shine and light up the room like you need it to. And with this image, Jesus is making the point that the truth about himself as the king and the truth about his kingdom, he's explaining in these parables will work the same way. It may not all be clear right now. It may be hidden for the moment, but eventually like a lamp, it's gonna be put up on a stand and it's gonna shine. And this was certainly true for his disciples in this moment, the people Jesus is talking to, because though Jesus has come among them and he's been telling them and showing them who he is, he's also been hidden. He's even been secretive at times. I mean, do you remember when he healed the man of leprosy back in Mark chapter one? And then after he did, he said, don't tell anybody, Mark one, verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him after he healed him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Jesus has been revealing his identity, but he's been doing it slowly, he's taking his time. And he's going to continue to do this throughout the book and we'll we'll keep seeing this as we work through it. He'll shine more and more light for them about who he is and what he came to do and therefore what his kingdom is like, but it's gradual. It's more like slowly sliding up a dimmer switch than suddenly flipping on all the lights in a dark room. Uh, we have some of these in our, the upstairs of our house, but I, I wish we had them downstairs too, because um, I'm a person that likes to ease into the light in the morning when I get up. Uh, it's been something Sarah and I have actually had to work through over the years. She likes to get up and immediately turn on all the lights in the house. And uh, I like just having on the little light at the bottom of the microwave uh, for me to get up and unload the dishwasher and make my coffee. Like, I'll, I'll use my flashlight if I have to. But we, we always get in an argument about it. Um, and I just don't understand it. I mean, it's like she wants to be able to see or something. <laughs> but if we had a dimmer, we could just ease it up, right? It would help. But well, that's how Jesus revealed himself to his disciples while he was here with them. Little by little, he, he pushed up the dimmer switch, showing them more of who he is as they were able to understand it. And for us living here today, all these years later, uh, the room is filled with more light you could say the dimmer switch is much higher, We know the whole story we have. uh, We can look back on the gospels and read about it. We have 2000 years of history of women and men studying and and reflecting on, meditating on, teaching us about the story. We have so much more clarity and yet, The truth is there's still more to be revealed. There's still more light to come into the room. There's still more of Jesus and his kingdom for us to know and understand and grow into more places for the light to shine and what's hidden to be revealed. And this is why Jesus encourages us the way he does after he tells this parable in verses 24 and 25, when he says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he's saying, the more you listen and pay attention to Jesus and what he's telling you, like we talked so much about last week, the more he's gonna bring you into, the more light he's gonna bring into your life about him for you to understand and enjoy. But on the contrary, When you don't, the darker and more hidden everything will become. Even what you have will be taken away. And so there's an invitation for us here in this first parable to embrace a a humble curiosity as we think about the kingdom of God. As we think about Jesus and, and what he's doing in us and in the world around us, there's an invitation to embrace the mystery. To know Jesus has revealed a lot to us, but there's more. There's always more. I'm never, gonna, I'm never gonna get it all. I'm never going to, to figure him out. There's always going to be mystery. There's always going to be more light for him to shine further up for him to move the dimmer switch in my life. It may not all be now in this life, but that's what he's doing. So the kingdom of God is hidden, but it will shine. That's the first truth we learn from these parables about Jesus's kingdom then the second one we see in the second parable, the one you find in verses 26 through 29, and the truth we learn here about the kingdom is, it's slow, but always growing. That it's slow, but always growing. And this is another upside down counterintuitive one. We, we don't want things to be hidden from us. We'd rather them be clear and obvious from the start. But we also want things to happen fast, to be immediate, to happen Right away, this was probably most at the core of my shock at reading Pete Cazero saying, I needed to plan on seven to 10 years for his content to be implemented into my life and into the church because I want God to move fast. But with this parable, Jesus tells us God moves at his own pace. And it's usually at the pace of seeds growing in the ground. Verse 26, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We talked a lot last week about sowers and soils and seeds and Jesus brings us back to them here and in the last parable that we'll see as well, the third one, but he uses it here to emphasize something different about the kingdom of God. He uses this image here to emphasize the speed at which the kingdom of God comes. And it comes slowly. The farmer sows the seeds for it, and he goes about his business. He sleeps, and he get up, he gets up the next day, and he lives his life, and it doesn't look like anything is happening. But as he's doing his thing, even wondering what's going on, if anything's happening at all, it is. The seed grows. First it comes up as a blade, then an ear, then a full grain. Eventually it grows into a whole harvest. And Jesus says that that's the way of the kingdom. Yeah, God can do anything he wants as fast as he wants to do it. He can make something happen in an instant. He can change us in an instant. He can change someone we love. He can restore a marriage just like that. He can grow a church or create a a gospel, major gospel movement overnight, but that's not normally the way he works. Normally he works slowly. He takes his time. And there's two very practical ways this truth can help us. Number one, as we think about God's work in us, I mean, how easy is it to look at your life and and be discouraged by where you feel like you are? I don't feel like I'm growing like I want to. I don't feel like I'm as mature or as far along as I could be. I'm still struggling with so many of the same things that I've always struggled with. It's so easy to do that. As we look at our lives, to be discouraged. But as I know myself, and as I, I think of many of you I know, I think a big part of our problem is uh, we have a very different timeline for ourselves than God does, right? We, we tend to think in terms of days, weeks, and months, while God's thinking in terms of years, in terms of decades, in terms of lifetimes. This, this hit home for me shortly into my time on staff here at Hope. This was about six years ago when I got invited to go on an officer's retreat with our other pastors and elders and and deacons. And in one of our sessions, talking through something devotionally and and sharing, I shared about being frustrated with where I was at the time. Frustrated about not being more mature. I think especially um, now that I was a pastor, I felt like all of a sudden I should be so much further ahead and so much more mature. Felt like I should be like all these guys I was with who were older than me, who had more wisdom and life experience and faith experience. And, And after I shared something about that, I remember Mark asking me, well, hey, how old are you? And I was 28 at the time. And so I said, 28. And he came back and said, why don't you just be 28? And what he was saying to me, what I heard was, relax. You're okay. It's good you want to grow, but it takes time. It's going to take years for the kind of growth that you want to see happen in your life happen. So take a deep breath. Be where you are and let it come. And I know I lose track of that perspective much more than I would like and I can get caught up in over-examining myself and still easily getting frustrated with where I am. But I try to come back to this and remember God is at work. He is going to complete the good work that he's began in me. Yes, I wanna play the part in it that I can as I'm able, but like the seed in the ground, it's, it's normally going to happen slowly. But it's not just thinking about God's work in us where this is helpful. It's also helpful in thinking about God's work around us, what he's doing uh, in and with people we love, in places and communities we care about because similarly, we expect this stuff to happen quickly too. We expect other people To change quickly. We expect a family dynamic that's been a certain way for years to change quickly. We expect a friend who doesn't believe in Jesus to believe in him quickly. And we also get frustrated and discouraged when it doesn't happen like that. And as a result, we we tend to put so much pressure on ourselves. Like, am I saying the right thing at the right time, in just the right way? Do I have the right approach, like that must be the problem if nothing is happening, if I'm not seeing anything looking like it's going on. But here we see the reality is this is just how God works. Slow and steady is the kingdom norm. And so instead of expecting big breakthroughs after two or three breakfast meetings, or two or three walks with someone on the rail trail, what would it look like to expand your vision to two to three years? What would it look like to be able to leave a conversation with someone you care about and and really want to see God work in and know, yeah, that was really important. But also be able to rest knowing it was just one small part of one long process of what God's up to. This parable tells us the kingdom of God is growing, that God is always working to grow it, but he usually does it slowly like the farmer as we sleep and get up and go about our lives, usually having no idea how it's happening. It grows, it keeps growing. And this leads us to the last truth we learn here about the kingdom in these parables. And that is as the kingdom grows, usually slowly, it starts small, but it becomes great. It starts small, but it becomes great. Verse 30 And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And a mustard seed is not technically the smallest seed on the earth. Jesus is using a little hyperbole to make his point, but it is a a tiny seed. It's about the size of a grain of sand. And yet when it grows up, Jesus says, it becomes a huge plant. It can grow anywhere from three to 12 feet high. It can be as wide as, as 30 feet. It can become so big, it becomes a place of shelter for the birds of the air. And the point is like this, the kingdom of God starts off small unassuming, seemingly insignificant, but it grows and it grows against all the odds until it becomes great. So great that it becomes a place of blessing and shelter for the world around it. It doesn't start with flash and hype and big programs and great branding. It starts with small beginnings, like a a tiny little seed you can barely see in your hand, but that insignificant seed turns into something very significant in the end. And of all the truths we've looked at today, I think this one's my favorite because I love a good underdog story. I love a story of the unexpected, the one who comes out of nowhere and who over time makes it to greatness. The one you never saw coming who turns out to be better than you could have ever expected. Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God is. That's what it's like. On the surface, it's not the most likely to succeed. It's not the first pick in the draft. It's the overlooked. It's the underrated. It's the one that starts small and down in the ground, but that rises over time. And where the last truth told us not to despise what's slow, the steady, what takes time, this parable tells us not to despise or look down on small beginnings. What seems insignificant to us The simple phone call you make to a friend who's having a hard time. Showing up to community group on a Tuesday night on a busy week in the middle of the semester to study the Bible and share your life and to pray. Just being a consistent presence where you are and where God has you right now at work, in your relationships, in your family, in your neighborhood. This says all that matters. It may not seem like it, it may seem small, but it's all big. It may seem insignificant, but it's all significant. In the economy of of God's kingdom, it's precisely the small that God uses to do something great. And so Jesus here teaches us so much about his kingdom in these parables. He teaches us it's hidden, but it will shine, that it's slow, but it's always growing, and that it's small but it becomes great. And what's the point of all this, really? Well, it's to show us this is how the kingdom works. We need to understand it so we can be a part of it, so we can participate in what God's doing, so we can be aware and have the right expectations of of what it's going to look like, of what it's going to feel like as we're in it. But even more these parables, what they do is they teach us about God because this is his kingdom after all. And what exactly do they teach us about God when we look at them that way? Well, I love the way scholar James Edwards puts it. He says this, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on on the ground. A more banal comparison could not be imagined. The kingdom should be likened to something grand and glorious to shimmering mountain peaks, crimson sunsets, the opulence of, of potentates, the glory of a gladiator, but Jesus likens it to seeds. The paradox of the gospel, indeed the scandal of the incarnation is disguised in such commonplace. The God whom Jesus introduces will not be kept at celestial, celestial arm's length. Jesus does not tell us how high and lofty God is, but how very near and present he is. And how the mundane routines of planting and harvesting are clues to the nature and plan of God. Yes, these parables, they teach us about the kingdom so you and me can know and live in it and enjoy it. But most of all, they teach us about the king who rules and who reigns over this kingdom. The king who, as we pay special attention to during the Advent season... We're just beginning. The king who who came to us in a hidden way, a seemingly insignificant way, born to a teenage mom by the Holy Spirit before she was married to Joseph in a manger in Bethlehem. The king who, who grew up out of the spotlight and who for 30 long years lived a normal, slow human life as a son, as a brother, as a friend, working as a carpenter, and the king who died in what seemed like an insignificant moment in history, when he died the death of a criminal outside of Jerusalem on a Roman cross. Yet in the midst of it all, God was doing something great. He was doing something, he was doing everything required through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to make it possible for sinners like us, people like you and me who could never make it into the kingdom on our own, on our own merits, making it possible for people like us to be invited and to come into his kingdom by faith in what he's done for us. The tiny seed that went into the ground has blossomed into a kingdom greater and more significant than anyone could have ever dreamed. And that's what we're a part of today. This kingdom, you and me, our little lives, our little church, it's much different than what we so often want and expect. But Jesus, he wants to use us as he keeps bringing his counterintuitive upside down kingdom to bear in the world. He wants us to grow up into a people and a place that provides shelter and blessing for the world around us. And that's the amazing privilege and the amazing invitation he offers us. We simply have to embrace his upside down gospel way, his counterintuitive gospel way, trust him and go along for the ride. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that you um, are not always the God we want or expect, but you're always the God we need and that your plans are so much better than ours. We thank you um, for the reminder this morning of the way you work and the way your kingdom works. And we pray now that um, by the power of the Spirit, you would um, strengthen our faith in this reality, that you'd uh, help us to see How amazing it is that we get to be a part of this kingdom that you're bringing to bear in our lives and in the world around us. Thank you for Jesus and the way uh, we see the upside down nature of the kingdom and that truth displayed perfectly. Uh, Thank you for sending him to come and die and be weak, to be the seed in the ground um, so that we may grow up into this kind of mustard seed as a people and as a community.